Welcome to Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. The podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week. From black and white classics to modern day blockbusters, we're covering it all. This season, we'll be focusing on psychological thrillers. And our movie this week is from 1960 and has become one of the all-time classics in the horror genre. It's Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. My name is Parker, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rick the Third. Rick, why don't you go ahead and give us a little recap of this movie? Park, this is a classic movie of Boy Meets Girl. So at the beginning of the movie, we have Marion Crane. She's our lead actress, main character, only A-list celebrity in this movie. She wakes up in the scene with her, with her boy, and she wants to steal some money, right? She takes $40,000 in cash, equal to $400,000-ish today, give or take a few thousand. And on her drive, she gets caught up in a storm and is at our, the world-renowned hotel park, Bates Motel. Bates Motel, we have Norman Bates she meets. Let's say her end, her end comes only a few moments later, after she meets Norman. We have a lot of mommy issues this movie. That's a different, different take is mommy issues. We have the famous shower scene. Normally, we're dealing with daddy issues. I think that's, that's Hitchcock's genius right there, right? Daddy issues is covered all over Hollywood, and we have mommy he issues. This flips movie. it on its head. It's he says, "I had a great relationship with my father. You son of bitches." <laughs> Instead, oh, my my relationship with my mother was crap. Awful. That's, that's real horror right there. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to kill the lead actress in the '60s. <laughs> that is that that is something we will talk about more, which is uh, incredible to think about. Even in yeah. today's modern day and age is kind of an incredible thing to do. It really is. Well, so, like, of course we have the famous shower scene. I think the movie um, is more than a shower scene, right? So after the shower, that only takes place like 20 to 30 minutes into the movie. After the shower scene, uh, you kind of have everyone's trying to look for Marion, like what happened to her. It was like more than why she stole the money. Like the cops weren't looking for her yet because they were going to just take the money back and forgive her. So you have that. You have a detective. One of the best names, I think, in Hollywood has to be at this time is Milton Arbogast. Best, like, has to be the greatest detective of all time in California with that name. Um, I guess until he meets Norman Bates. Detective Arbogast. Ready for business. That's the most, like, detective name for a black and white movie, too. Like, he could have played a movie in color with that name. It has to be a black and white movie. <laughs> it has to be a classic black and white noir film. Yeah, you meet him, Arbogast, um... His time comes to a quick end, and then eventually we have Norman being caught, and he has a little stare down at the end of the movie with a fly, and that's the movie. Some Rick, you know, a lot of people have a very quick end in this movie. You know, they're here and they're gone. It's kind of like life. It's kind of like you just you. It's it's just but 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 a floating wind. We're all heading to our our own Norman Bates. Some quicker than others. It's true. Could be in the shower park. <laughs> Lock your doors. Shower. Rick, I whenever I shower, I always put a I always put a, a a chair right in front of the door so that whatever happened in Psycho cannot happen to me. I mean, I do the exact same. I lock it. I got I got one of those like I got like another like bolt lock that used to have in apartments. You got double lock those babies. You never know. Rick, I put a ring doorbell on my bathroom door. <laughs> <laughs> also inside the bathroom, and I have the screen showing the. So it'll the other the side projector of the on the other side of the yeah, <laughs> I'm watching twenty four seven. No one, no one is sneaking up on me while I'm scrub a dub dubbing, Rick. Oh, dude, then shampoo gets in my eye all the time. I can't close my eyes. That's death. 
<laughs> Shampoo in the eyes. You might as well, you might as well dig your own grave, dude. Seriously, just build a casket at that point. <laughs> Let's talk about our good, bad, and the ugly of this week. Uh, why don't you go ahead first and give us your good from this movie? Yeah, so my good's a little bit of what we were talking about. Uh, I wrote down more than just the shower scene. I feel like I've definitely watched this movie a long time ago. I. I didn't have high expectations for it this time around, mainly because I like, to me, this movie, I fit with like Casablanca and these like other really old movies. I, I like to call them um, like a film class movie, like just some BS community college film classes, like write a paper on Casablanca and Psycho and, blah, 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 and all these like, all these movies that like I don't particularly find entertaining. Um, again, like I watched this movie years ago. And then, so the only thing I knew was the shower scene. And of course, Norman Bates, just from watching like Bates Motel. But again, it like it still caught me off guard that the shower scene takes place like twenty to twenty five minutes into the movie, and I'm like thinking like, what the heck is the rest of the movie about? But it only like gets better from there, in my opinion. So I think that I think the the more than just the shower scene is what encapsulates my uh, my good. Hmm. You know, we were texting um, a little bit during and after the movie, and you were talking about how you were writing your notes, but then the shower scene happens. And you, you talked about how you didn't write many notes after that. And I, I'm assuming that's because you became so immersed oh, yeah. um, in the story and in that twist at that point. Oh, definitely. Because I feel like there's there's so much lead up. Um, and even if we just wanted to stay on the shower scene for just a minute, it's such a brilliant scene for that time. Even though, like, it could be... I can't even think watching it. I don't even see it a little simple. It's still really complex. So they have... It's the first time in American cinema... Even, like, obviously for American TV, it, like, we see a toilet, and especially a flushing toilet. Like, that was pretty much, I think that is made, that was there to just, like, kind of, like, take the audience off guard almost at that time. So it's like, oh my gosh, they showed a toilet. What am I watching? Like, that's, that's that would be my reaction. Seeing a toilet in a movie, Parker, I, it's tough. Toilets in film, that, that is masterclass. It really is. But yeah, then her in the shower, you have, I know, like, Everyone talks about that, the, and like I've seen directors and producers talk about how it's like almost impossible to figure out exactly how like the blocking and the shots and all of the cuts are done in the shower scene. I think it's like seventy to seventy-five different cuts or something like that was in the like official, the like official tally book. And they even tried to do a shoot a shot-for-shot remake of the movie, which was awful. It was like nineteen nineties, and they and the they were pretty good shot-for-shot, shot, but they could not do shot-for-shot shot of the shower scene for whatever reason. It's incredible how precise they were with the camera positioning and the actor, the actress, um, during that sequence to reveal so much, but also keep it all covered up and appropriate for that time period. Reveal a little too much, some would say. That's true. There, there is one split second um, in there that, that gets, a little, gets a little dangerous, Rick. It's a, it's a loose boob, Park. It's a, <laughs> a loose boob. The funny thing about that, though, is that he sent it in, and then the sensors went frame by frame of the shower scene, and they, like, saw it. And then, uh, or, so then they sent it back, and they were like, we need you to cut this out. And then he sent back the exact same file, or, like, pretty much, <laughs> or, like, the exact same clip, and said, okay, I cut it out, and they just never watched it again. So that's how it made the, like, final, like, that's movie. That's amazing. <laughs> I got to give a shout out. Um, my wife made it uh, very imperative that I give a free the nip shout out um, oh, d- because of because of the shower scene. And 
Um, you know, it kind of made me think about it for a moment because That's she was talking about, you know, I, I asked her, does that mean you don't free the nip when you take a shower? And that took me down an entire rabbit hole of how many people out there are going around, taking showers, covering their nips up. I feel like it's a hard thing to cover up, right? If you are. If you're, right. against, the, you're against the freedom of the nip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Hey, it's Park, just... Every time I go in the shower, I don't know about you, it's just a big old white t-shirt contest. <laughs> you find your biggest t-shirt, <laughs> your biggest t-shirt, and you get as wet as possible. Yeah. I got, I, I'm all about modesty, you know, I got my shower t-shirt, Spark. Rick, I have an entire closet full of white t-shirts. Oh my gosh, Spark, start showering and in them. And they're, and they're just for getting wet. <laughs> That's it, there's nothing That's else. That's the only purpose. If, it, if it's a dry summer day or something, I don't even look at them. Can't, you can't do it. I can't. But no. if you're going to a water park, it has to be white oh, t-shirt. Oh, Rick. If I'm going to a water park, I'm I'm not the guy who's gonna flex and show off these muscles just to anybody. I gotta wear a little layer, a little layer, but give still give you a little. Sneak yeah, it's a peek. window. It's a nice. It's little a window, tall. Rick. It's a window into what you'll never be able to a achieve. A tease, if you will. You know? <laughs> and you know, you know who else is also really great at teasing? Hitchcock. All right, back to it. So <laughs> you were asking me. You were asking me what my good word was from this movie. Um, of course, um, the shower sequence is phenomenal. The twist um, towards the towards the middle, but a little before the midpoint of the movie, um, where our lead actress Marion is killed. Um, all phenomenal things. All masterclass. All and, and something I want to bring up that you didn't talk about, which I felt, and I'm wondering if you felt this as well, is. Um, once she died, because Hitchcock very much sets it up that this is our protagonist, this is our character, we're, we're seeing the world through. So as a viewer, as an audience member, I became attached to this character. And so when he kills her about, I don't know, 40 minutes or whatever it is into the, into the movie, and you have a whole second half plus of the movie, the first probably 20 minutes after that, I felt very uneasy. I guess is the right word in a way because I didn't feel like I had anyone to attach myself to. Even though we were kind of watching Norman Bates cleaning up the mess. So it was it creepy though. It was so it, creepy. Yeah, it, it didn't feel like we were entering into his view of things, you know, because yeah. we still don't know his story. It's almost like we just became a fly on the wall, but we didn't have any anywhere to attach to. And I think that created a very... Um, it created a very uneasy feeling as an audience member, which I thought was very unique and, and an experience that I haven't experienced very often when watching films. So that was a really great thing. Another thing that I absolutely loved from this film was right before the shower scene was the conversation that Norman Bates has with Marion in his office um, about taxidermy, about um, his relationship with his mother, all the little nuances and back and forth where they're trying to figure each other out, trying to under, understand each other a little bit more. And something that's so brilliantly done that I think a lot of people would miss is at the very end of the scene when she's about to go away. And actually this scene pushes her to realize, hey, I made a mistake. I need to go back and rectify the issues that I made. So not only does this scene move her character into a you know, grow her character and move her character into a different direction. It also gives a little bit of tidbit, which I think is what drives Norman over the edge, 
is she gives him her real name. So when she signs into the guest book, it's under a different name. And then when she's leaving that conversation, she gives him his real name. And I think that gives him enough understanding to know that this girl is on the run, that this girl doesn't want to be found and pushes him over the edge to come back to her. Well, it gives, it's dangerous. I thought that that scene was just probably the best scene of the movie for me. I agree. And then, of course, the shift, the shift of what the movie is. The whole first half of the movie is this, like, suspense thriller, the music, the pacing, the tone, the little things of her driving out of town and her boss seeing her and the paranoia of that. Hitchcock does a really great job of building, 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 um, as all great filmmakers do, you know. She runs into her boss who sees her leaving town, so she's got this paranoia, and then she gets stopped by the cop, and she's thinking, oh, the cop knows about what I've done because my boss saw me, so she's worried about that, and then that gets her to get a different car, and it's all these little things and and these build-ups. There's a lot of, like, interior dialogue, too, of, like, what happens if I get there and he doesn't want, or, like, he doesn't want to be with me, and, like, all this stuff. It's, like, a lot of, like, anxiety and, like, tension is going on, like, internally and externally around her. Yeah. So it's it's amazing this this build up and then it all comes to to head, obviously in the Bates Motel and in the shower scene and then it just flips and it it had a you and I both just watched this movie recently it came out this past year Barbarian it had a very yeah. similar feel to that and I think Barbarian probably took a lot of inspiration from Psycho in the sense of you've got this one story here we are at the midpoint we're going in a totally different direction that you didn't think. And it becomes this black and white noir film, you know? Yeah, it's trying to fool, like, the whole point of, I feel like, this realm of horror and this part of the genre is trying to do as much as you can to trick the audience. Yeah. And and I think, like, Psycho, obviously a masterclass in that, and I think it kind of set this, like, standard that, I mean, like, probably thousands of movies have taken from, or, like, pulled elements from, right? So it's... Yeah. And I, I, I think something else that's so interesting is that generally in a mystery or a noir film, you don't have any context to the mystery that's happening. Um, where in Psycho, the whole first half of the film, you know, you know everything. You know the girl's on the run, why she's doing it. You know that she was murdered. And so you have all of this information, and yet the whole second half of the movie, you're still... There's enough mystery surrounding Norman Bates and who he is and his relationship with his mother to keep you invested and compelled to figure out what's going on and to, to keep you hooked into that. The whole tease of the house and the mansion and the backdrop and just seeing the, cro- you know, the woman sitting in the window or the crossing the window, all these little things that you're like, I want to get in there. Um, mm-hmm. I want to see what's going on in there. It's just... And you only ever see the house at night for that reason, too. Yeah. Like, towards the end of the day, at least. And and so for that, like I said, Hitchcock is phenomenal at teasing the audience. And he really has a strong hold on what he wants the audience to feel. And so those are my goods. Those are some of my goods. I mean, there's there's so much to it. It really is. Uh, Bart, what would you not like? Tell me you're bad. You know, Rick, I didn't put too much thought into it. There isn't that much that I would consider bad. I mean, it's 
this isn't really a bad or anything, but let's just talk about that psych that psychiatrist at the end of the film, oh, yeah. Rick. I was gonna bring what, that up. That's what a tease. It's so he's, he comes out and he's like, Norman didn't kill him, but he did. And it's like, you son of a bitch, just tell Dude, me, did he do it? Did he not? What it's is like this? A side character having like a main character. It's like he's like he's like the main character in someone else's story. <laughs> yeah. He like comes in and he's like he, he's just like this is my movie. Like I can, this is my scene. This is I'm gonna steal it. Like like if that was actually like how the psychiatrist operated in real life, I'd be like, what are you doing? Enough with these theatrics. This person just killed my sister. This person just killed my lover, and you're going off with this little tease at the beginning of your speech. So I do want to bring up the speech a little bit, since we're on it. Is that's like the only critically bad thing a lot of people have in their like thoughts to the film. In terms of that, like, of course, it's like it's a little dated. I think the, some of the things he says is a little dated uh, for 1960s. It's honestly a lot of it meets up though with like how we would like talk about. I guess people have like kind of like going through things of like the tra- trauma and the things that Norm is going through. Yeah. Um, besides that, I think it's too long. So I think he, I think he, the, the speech has to be like three to five minutes. This is a long speech. I think you could have cut it off at like a minute and then you just go right to the last scene of him with Norman in the fly. I also think um, that that the scene or the speech spoon feeds the audience. Yeah, and I think there's this desire, especially in early cinema, to like really wrap things up in a nice, nice tight bow. Yeah, Um, you don't want people to be scared; they want to leave. Yeah, to or just so the audience has a full understanding. And there's not; Mm -hmm. they try not to keep too much up to interpretation in the end. They try and you know explain that, and I think that that is a situation in itself at the end of really Hitchcock and you know. The filmmakers telling you what happened um, and who Norman Bates is and all of that, and it, it makes you wonder: like, had that speech been a lot shorter, had it been all the information you get, where you would be and what you would feel as an audience member? Then, I, I think it's a little too spoon-fed at the end. But it, again, it's yeah. that day and age and that era and yeah, kind of what what they did um, and the. The ending is also phenomenal. That stare at the so end. So good. There's a very... As they're dissolving to the car being pulled out of the mud at the end, there's a cross dissolve in there with his mother's corpse overlaying on his face. And it's just for a split second. But it's um, it's just so well done. Dude, so I well still done. got like... I knew like how I was going to... I still got like chills in even the last scene. It's something about like the... the um, like the sound and like the soundtrack how it's like all like strings and all that like string instrument they play it right at the end even when there's pulling like doing the crossfade and then pulling the car out of the mud it's like oof it's still just like it didn't like sit right with me but yeah honestly not a lot of not a lot of bad not really any ugly well there is something a little ugly that i i do need to talk about sandwiches and milk rick sandwiches and milk (laughs) I don't if if there is ever a dead giveaway for someone being psychotic that wants to kill you if someone offers you sandwiches and milk for dinner I think that is it I am I am out of there Rick if someone offers me sandwiches with milk not not water not a soda not milk you know that immediately reminded me of and like who knows maybe he took it from this at the end of like near the end of get out I guess, like, they're, like, or he, I guess, is locked up, and it shows her, I don't, I don't know what her name was, 
it shares like the main character's i guess girlfriend and like she like puts her hair in a ponytail and she's like dipping fruit loops in a glass of milk i just feel like there's something about drinking having milk on a like near your plate at nighttime i just attribute it to like you're either a kid or you're a psycho there's like (laughs) it's that's the line for me you know i've i've watched things and i've i've read things about milk having a very distinctive meaning in film um and obviously like milk is used yeah i mean it's used (laughs) as a as a substance for nurture and for younglings to grow and and stuff and so there's i think milk very much fits into the character of norman bates and who he is and what he believes so i think it's the perfect drink for him to bring i'm just saying if i'm in a motel by myself and someone wants to have sandwiches and milk with me for dinner i'm probably just going to check out and go (laughs) yeah you got to you know that spongebob mean where he's getting out of his tray is like i i'm out of here that's me that's me rick yeah, right then and there, you got to. You can't and like don't don't turn your back to, to that person either. You don't know what <laughs> no. they're gonna do. You're gonna. I'm gonna say I I'm out of here, but also be staring at him walking backwards out of the, out of the. That is my ugly Rick. That right. Or there. I got an ugly. You I got was, an ugly. I was disgusted. Some would say disgusted, Rick. Absolute disgust. I need to hear. So for the, it's a two parter. Okay, it's a big Two one. parts. Holy cow. So I'm going to go, not even just the sandwiches milk, I'm going to go with the sandwich making. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I dissected this scene part. The greatest scene of the movie. <sighs> when I had a little chat in the parlor. First of all, I love the, I love the name parlor. It's like, oh, let's, <laughs> we'll just go sit in my parlor. Come Great on day. now. <laughs> but she eats, the, the way she eats the sandwich, first, she's eating it like a charcuterie board. And it's like, girl, this is a sandwich. Just make, just make the sandwich. But she, like, picks up the... It's ham. That's what the script says. I don't know if it was ham in the movie. She just picks up a little slab of ham, put, puts it right down there, and that's when you get the, like, line, which, honestly, like, it's for the line that you eat like a bird, um, which that line is, like, it's kind of dissected in a way that, like, Norman sees, obviously, per, like, birds. At, like, first of all, he loves birds. He loves stuffing birds. Birds are also prey. So there's a lot of, like symbolism there that she's kind of like prey at that moment also another interesting thing is hitchcock's actual real life fear of birds so it's interesting that he places this type of um fetish for birds onto this evil person oh i know it's like it's evil deranged you know you you pick or choose what do you want to say be careful there pork what is he Uh, (laughs) okay 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 (laughs) make the the audience decide yeah yeah, you guys decide. What do you guys well, think? Is he crazy? Is he evil? Is he deranged? Leave a comment below. I mean, we're a podcast, so I don't know where you're going to comment, but you know, maybe out, maybe out, say it out into the world, screaming out of your window as you're driving by a school or something. Norman Bates is blank. There you get, go. Get political with it. Anyways, <laughs> that was our segue, or that was a little moment. Let's go back to the sandwich making. We have that, of course. Then park. This is going into our food review too. This is my disgust is the is the food, oh, if you will. Rick. So then, Park, we get uh, she has an open face sandwich. She like takes a bread and puts cheese on it. She doesn't even put more meat on it. She like, she had her fill of meat, and then she just eats the this cheese on top of bread. How did I miss Absolutely. it? I must have been so enamored with the dialogue during this scene. Yeah, well, even... so the camera just cuts to her briefly for her like listening. It's it's all on Norman and then it'll cut to her and you see how she's eating it. <laughs> um, so we have that. My Now here's the biggest one. 
the big, the absolute catastrophe, the candy corn. There's a scene where Norman is sitting on that. This is when our boy Abergast he come meets him. So later in the movie, Norman's sitting there. He's popping candy corn. A lot. The symbolism behind. I guess I'll just do the symbolism before I hate on it. Symbolism behind it is the same thing as like now that like he kind of killed his prey. He's eating candy corn and it looks like it's a bird eating bird seed, which is he's now the prey. That's the meaning, okay? Which that's someone's interpretation of the meaning. I'm not so like, maybe it is the meaning, maybe it's not. Maybe it's my meaning. Who knows? Uh, I think I said meeting instead of meaning multiple times there. Love it. Anyways, so he eats the candy corn. Park, it is December in this movie. There are Christmas decorations downtown. First of all, is this is a Christmas movie. If Die Hard's a Christmas movie, Psycho's a Christmas movie. I'm going to say it. Crazy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to get political. So, actually, Psycho is my favorite Christmas movie. My That is. That, I, that, me too. Now it's my favorite Christmas movie of all time. Has Beat, beats Die Hard out of the water, man. Out of the water. Out of the mud, Rick. Who eats candy corn in the middle of December? It is middle of December. Candy corn is in October... And then maybe first week of November snack. A great snack. I love candy corn. You're a psycho if you're eating candy corn. It's almost Christmas. You got a week till Christmas? You're telling me you're eating candy corn? Absolutely not. Rick, what if I told you I eat candy corn in December? Park, if you pulled out, even right now, it's where this might have to be it. I don't know if I could trust you. Wow. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> I feel so hurt, and I don't even eat candy corn in general. I'm sorry, I'm sorry for the the candy corn truthers out there. If those do, yeah, exist. for all of our for all of our uh, listeners out there that regularly eat candy corn, we're sorry, but please stop. Unless unless it's October and November. Yeah, you have your month. You have your month, month and a half. I'll even give you the full November. You have you have your two months. I'm going to give you that part of the year to eat candy corn. It's like it's like these people who start celebrating Christmas in September. It's true. Like you're, if you hate on those people, like if you're one of these candy corn truthers, you're no better than those, than those. So I just, I'm sorry again. I just, I don't want to bring politics into here and I'm really sorry that I did. It's Rick, just, you it's, are just need, full of controversies this Park, week. I need, I need to draw the line there. Candy corn is an October food, should not be eaten in December. Rick, next week I'm coming with a bag of candy corn in my hand. <laughs> Dude, I actually tried to find one. But I could not. I was gonna. I was gonna munch candy corn throughout, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't find it. What a shame! Where do these people get their candy corn? This is around around in. Rick, they Anyways. store it. They stock up in in October, and November, <laughs> and then they store it so they can eat it all year round. They get those big, those big Costco bags of candy corn. <laughs> they buy in bulk. So, Park, I obviously this movie we talked about it. It sets up a lot of cliches. Hitchcock pretty much was like, told the world this is how you make a horror movie. This is how you should try to scare audiences. Right, we've seen this stolen. We see it in Scream because in one of the Scream movies, uh, all of the eighteen thousand Scream movies, the main character dies in the first ten minutes. Obviously, like a nod to this, right? Did I guess talk about kind of the cliches of the movie? Did like us watching a now movie from the sixties that like affect how you saw it? And then I guess like let me know how you think this kind of set up what we see today in movies. Well, I think when we're talking about cliches and kind of. What was what did this movie inspire in the future? You can't help but go back to the shower sequence. Um, it's become such an iconic scene in itself, and its influence has kind of rippled throughout cinema. But even even deeper than that, um, what a lot of slashers, a lot of horrors will do is they kill off those 
characters that are not pure. So people who get involved in sexual activities and stuff like that. And that is how this movie starts off with Marion in an affair with Sam Loomis. That's kind of the catalyst and the driving force for her whole story is this affair and stealing this money so she can go start this life with this guy and they can run off. And so it kind of almost sets this cliche and this trend of characters who aren't pure, who have sex, who do these unholy things. They end up meeting their demise. Sex, money, and drugs. You're done. And you see that all throughout cinema, all throughout horror. And then even with what you just brought up a moment ago, the Scream movies, which pokes fun at a lot of these cliches, points that out as well. It's always the people who have sex. It's, you know, always the the virgin woman who survives at the end. Yeah, and it's just like, it's a it's more than the slasher movie too. Like, I think, like, of course you have the slasher movies that will always pick fun at it. And there's like, there's not a lot of meeting. It's just people dying. Uh, but like this movie, it's, de- it's deep. And like, I think that so many of the movies we've seen since then, I won't even say just today, like 80s and 90s, 2000s, like 20, oh, everything. Like you have movies, you have horror movies that are that are deeper it's, it's like more than just a jump scare like we of course we hit our like stride of horror movies today that were awful were the movies to me that did not play into this at all like the paranormal activities was not good for horror movies in my opinion right it gets all jump scares there's not a lot of like there's not a lot of backstory-ish things whereas like the movies that kind of rely on this hitchcock like way of doing things are the ones that we love today yeah it's the ones that to earn it yeah jump scares are are really cheap ways to scare an audience to get them at the edge of their seat but to really unnerve an audience like psycho does that by the end of the movie you're like oh my gosh i feel creeped out by this but like there's a plausibility there's a reality to this could this guy be someone that i interact with in the future it's these things that hitchcock does and he doesn't rely on the jump out of nowhere and attack you even the shower scene even the shower stabbing you see it coming the music starts playing but the the figure slowly approaches from behind and lifts up the knife it's not like she's showering and then boom it comes out of nowhere and it's you know freaks you out it's it's the anticipation it's the suspense in that moment and getting to that moment well it's like recreating and adding even adding more suspense to fears that like people already have so whether that's like closing your eyes in the shower this like weird fear right you have that Mm -hmm. there's like other things that play with like the monsters under the bed or the monsters in the closet it's like rising like leveling up these fears very similar to a invasion of the body snatchers some of those fears that we talked about last week as well dude snakes on a plane not a plane clash but are there snakes on this plane always terrified of it that would be scary, Rick. You know why that's scary? Because there's nowhere to run. Nowhere to run. You gotta face that snake head on, and I, I gotta tell you, I'm not ready to face that snake head on. And like, if Samuel L. Jackson isn't there, I'm accepting my death. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> it's over, Rick. It's over. <laughs> I don't have really fun facts for it this week, but I do have an interesting fan theory or um, some connections to this film to another Um, horror classic that I wanted to share with all of our audience out there Uh, because the deeper you go into it the more interesting it is actually Rick do you want to uh, do you want to hear a little a little theory a little fan theory Park you know I love fan theories give it to me you love fan theories all right well I got one for you right here so one of our main characters names in Psycho his character is Sam Loomis that is the man having an affair with uh, Marion throughout the film 
Um, and he comes back after the, in the second half of the film to try and figure out, along with Detective Arbogast and um, Marion's sister, what happened at the Bates Motel. So that's where our theory starts, is with Sam Loomis. Now, jump forward to the classic horror film, Halloween. The psychiatrist in that film who plays a huge role in trying to find and capture Mike Myers throughout this film, his name is also Sam Loomis. So Rick, there is a theory out there, there is an idea that the Sam Loomis in Psycho is the same Sam Loomis in Halloween. And here's the, here's the, here's the idea, is that Sam Loomis was so traumatized by the events that played out in Psycho, by losing his lover, by having Detective Arbogast killed, which we didn't even talk about, Rick, but what a what a tragedy that was, falling <laughs> down the stairs like that. Oh, my um, God, that was, that was funny. So he was so traumatized by those events that he moves from Arizona out to Illinois and becomes a psychiatrist to make sure that what happened at the Bates Motel never happens again, that he can understand these type of people and help them. So that's the theory. But here's where things get even more interesting, Rick, because oh, that give alone, me the kicker, Park. That alone is not interesting enough. But but here, here is the kicker. So Marion Crane in the film is played by Janet Lee. Janet Lee is the mother of Jamie Lee Curtis. And as we all know, Jamie Lee Curtis plays the lead in the movie Halloween. So you have the mother in Psycho, and the daughter in Halloween, and Sam Loomis is the connecting bridge in between them both. Isn't that, isn't that a wild little theory? That's a wild little theory. I think that is a theory that would make our boy, uh, what's his name, Matty Pat of Film Theories, I think it's a YouTube channel, make him proud. Mm. Matty, if you're listening to us, I hope we made you proud. Also, I hope your name's Matty Pat, that's what I remember it, if it's not, sorry. If, it, if it's not, it's not a big deal anyways, we don't really know him. That's true. He won't want it. I mean, he might watch this. We're going to be huge. We've got millions of people watching us already. Oh, yeah, we do. This is this is the Super Bowl. We're bigger than Rihanna. That was but I'm glad you just played a little jingle for us there, because that leads in to my fan fiction of the week. Ooh. <laughs> Rick. You know, every week I am on the edge of my seat. That this is this is the the part of the podcast that I am always most excited for because you never know where that fiction is going to take you, dude. You never know. So I was researching park. I was diving deep while I was on the toilet. I was diving deep. I felt like I had to sit down on a toilet, pay homage to a Psycho while I was searching mm-hmm. fan fiction. True story. Anyways, I was researching. The one that called out my name is a little jingle. Called Hey Norman. Someone wrote a jing- uh, wrote a song, if you will, a little jingle. Not a song, a full song. It is called Hey Norman, and it is sung in the tune of the old Frosted Flakes commercial. So I'm not yeah. much of a singer. Not gonna do that. I want you to keep in mind that the lyrics of this song, though, are supposed to be sung by like children. Like that song is like sung by children, and then you know, like Tony the Tiger comes at the end. It's like it's great. So here it is. We have Hey Norman. I like the things you do. Hey Norman. If I could, I would be you. You're the one and only psycho with the one and only mom. You know how to take people and make them all die. And then Norman Bates comes in saying, I'm more than good. I'm great. 
That is the fan fiction of the week. I just want everyone to just let that marinate. This was written two years ago. This could be the new hit jingle of this coming Halloween. This is going to be on the top 40s pop charts in just another week, Rick. I think so. I feel like we could have like a cereal commercial called like Normies or something like that. We'll get all right, all right. Say, say it for me again, and I'm going to try and make a little jingle out of it, all right? Give me a piece by piece. Like, okay, we have Hey Norman, I like the things you do. Hey Norman, I like the things that you do. Hey oh, Norman, oh. if I could, I would be you. Hey Norman, if I could, I would be you. Ho, ho. You're the one and only psycho with the one and only mom. You're the one and only psycho with the one and only mom. Ho, ho. You know how to take people and make them all die. You know how to take people and make them all die. Ho, ho. He's more than good. He's, he's great. He's more than good. He's Norman Bates great. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's it. That's it. As a master's, a chef's kiss. Rick, I'm going to hear my voice kiss. on the radio in a couple of days. You will. You're going to be walking in like a grocery store. Everyone listens to podcasts when they're shopping for groceries, obviously. You're just going to yeah. hear your voice everywhere. Rick, it's going to be playing during Christmas time because it, it's based off of one of the best Christmas movies. Uh, the Goat of Christmas. The Goat of Christmas. Psycho, 1960s. Park, I think we have another quiz, don't we? Rick, you know how we like to play games on this podcast. And of course, we have another quiz to take us down our little quiz lane. This week, it's which psycho character are you? I've got my quiz open, Rick. I hope you have your quiz open because we're just going to jump right into this and figure out which psycho character we are. Here we go. Pick a color. Blue, gray, purple, or red. I'm going with blue because blue is the color of the sky. Yeah, I'm gonna go gray for the same reason, Bark. It's the color of the sky right here. Wow, Rick. It's isn't it that is so fascinating how the sky can be two different colors in two different places, but it's the same sky. The same sky. Let's create science. Science with Parker. Rick. I might have to be a whole section at some point. <laughs> Alright, pick a career. Music composer, doctor, entrepreneur, or realtor. I'm gonna go entrepreneur here, Park. How about you? Entrepreneur, uh, I, I think I have to go with music composer I have, after. You needed to. You were like Taylor Swift. You wrote it, you composed it, you did everything there. It was... I, I just took words off of a paper and just made it into a musical masterpiece. So it almost brought I'm... me to tears. Rick, for, the, for our audiences who are just listening, I think I saw an actual tear fall from Rick's, Rick's eyelid. That's true. I only, from I his only eyelid, your tear duct. Your... The tear duct. Your eye thingy, McBobber? Eye thingy, McBobber. Definitely cried out of that bad boy. Park, where do you normally stay when traveling? A five-star, a three-star, a motel? Do you travel? I'm right in the middle. I'm a three-star type of guy. I'm also a three-star kind of guy. Three stars, yeah. We're, we're not bougie enough to be in five stars, but I'm not ready to die, so I don't go to motels. Oh my gosh, taking a shower at a motel? What's like... Oh, what's the one? Is it, like, is it called Motel 6? Hotel 6? What's one Mot of those... We at the hotel moat. Oh, that's Holiday Inn. Uh, Holiday no, I think Inn. it is. I think it's Motel Six. Yes. Either way, taking a shower at a Holiday Inn, you're asking for death again. <laughs> or at least for some bugs to crawl on you. At least the bugs. At to least, crawl. which to some that is death in itself. So let's keep going. My friend would describe me as clever, confident, romantic, selfish. Hmm. Oh, I get. Maybe we should do this for each other. Oh, Rick. we have to. 
Yeah. yeah Park, what, what am I? Well, we're, are we friends? Would you would you say we're friends? Park, we're best buds. Of course, we're friends. Oh, I just wanted to hear you say that. All right, thank you. Anyways, um, Rick, I would put you down as as confident. I think you're a confident guy, Rick. Oh, I love it, Park. Thank you. That means that means so much. But Park, I'm gonna say it's almost, it's a cross between clever and romantic. I'm gonna go clever. You know, if it was me, I would have picked selfish. But you know, that's just me. I was being generous as I put clever. So. Clever. All right, that's fair. All right, I'll take it. I'm a, I'm a clever, clever guy. Clever with your selfishness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so no one can see it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Rick, you hear a loud noise in the middle of the night. What do you do? You call 911, you scream, you grab the weapon in, my, in the nightstand, or you go check it out yourself. I feel like I'm literally, I'm an idiot. I go check it out myself. And there's nothing in hand except for my phone that, that has my flashlight. So there I have nothing to protect Rick, myself. Here's, here's what I do. I, I scream, but I don't scream in like a scared way. I scream in a way to make it known that I am there and screaming. And I'm hoping that my screams are scary enough for them that they think I'm the psycho and they need to get away from me. I feel like if you like heard something in the middle of the night and it was like someone was obviously there, if you do like a creepy giggle, I think they're, I think they're gone. Rick. Why is that not an option? That should be. That should be an option. Creepy giggle. Creepy. G- <laughs> All right. Well, scream That's is the closest one, so I'm gonna. I'm still gonna go with scream. Okay, Park. If you were a slash, if you were in a slasher movie, when would your character die? While lurking around the murderer's house, while taking a shower, I am the killer. After figuring out who the killer is. You know, if I'm being honest, I'm gonna die when I'm taking a shower. I know I put a chair in front of my door, but I'm still stupid. I've I've got the chair. I've got the ring doorbell. I've got all those things to protect me, but Rick... They're going to already be in the shower, Park. They're going to be in the shower. They're I'm going to open the curtain, and they're going to be there ready to go. That's I'm not happens. prepared for That's that. Be... I'm only prepared for once I'm in the shower. I think mine is definitely after Fear the Killer is. I feel like I'll make it long enough, and it'll be like, oh, it's Parker. And then you kill and then, me. And then I kill you. Yep. Well, on that really sad, depressing note, let's find out who we are. <laughs> Rick... I'll go first. Give it to me. I am none other than the one, the only, Marion Crane. Let's go. <laughs> you just want to have the life that you imagined for yourself and will do almost anything to achieve that. You're strong and independent, but don't always think through your plans before acting. Unfortunately, this ends up being your demise. What do you think I am, Pork? Give me, give me a guess. Well, Rick, I, I, you're, you're one of two options. You're either Norman Bates or your detective Afergast, um, Abergast, and I think I think you're Abergast, Rick. I was I thought I was gonna be Tuba Park. I'm Sam Loomis. You're Sam Loop Loop Rick. We're lovers. We- <laughs> best friends. Park. We're best this friends, is, Rick. This is this was meant to be. Park. Well, Rick, you know I would love to have to an be. affair with you any day. Park, I. I mean, you'll you die before then, so. Okay, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> I'll never make it. I'll I'll get about fifteen miles from where you live, and then to just decide to stop in a motel instead of traveling the last fifteen and get. I feel like I'd be upset at the beginning of the movie, though. Like you had you have your sandwich, you just didn't eat it. Rick just didn't. We eat saw the a sandwich. sandwich at the beginning of the movie. Sandwiches. Anyways, I'm romantic and passionate. I often choose to follow my heart over reason. I'm not easily fooled either, though you seem to always get roped into others' crazy problems. You stand by their side until the end. Loyal, I think loyal's good. That's very loyal. This guy is a lot. I'm just looking at a picture of him, like audience. Like look at a picture of this. Whoever's listening to this, 
This is one of the the better looking men that I've ever seen. He's this is not me. That's Sam Loomis for you. That's Sam Loomis. That's the Sam Loomis effect. The Sam, the Sam Loomis effect. The Loomis effect. Whole... I'm gonna start. I'm still gonna start coining that in future podcasts. Whenever we find something very attractive, it's the Loomis effect. The Loomis effect. I love it. All right, Rick. Well, we're gonna do what we do at the end of every podcast. Here is we're going to. Uh, let our audience know if we pass or recommend this. Rick, why don't you go first? Yeah, I would. This is a big recommend for me. In terms, like, I would rate this movie even. Like, if I had to rate it out of 10, this is a 9 out of 10 easily. Maybe a 9.5 out of 10. The, like, the deaths themselves are not, like, spectacular. The story, the design of the story, the characters, the acting, it's, it's all, like, actually incredible. I mean, I'm in the same boat with you, of course, as well. This is recommend, and this is one that if you have not seen, you need to go see because it is such a staple to the horror genre, to cinema history, and it needs to be seen. Whether you're big into horror, whether you're big into psychological thrillers or not, it's just that important on pop culture. So definitely recommend. Anyone should at least see this film once, um, and it's probably good enough where you'd want to watch it again down the road. 70 years later, give or take. You know, in another 40 or 38 years, Rick, this movie will be 100 years old. Oh, I'll watch it again. 38 years. 38 years we'll from see, now. We'll do, it, we'll do it in person. Here, put it on your calendar right now. Here, I'm putting it. Everyone can see my phone. I'm putting it put on, it on, the calendar. on the calendar. We will shoot our podcast watching this again in person. We'll have a watch along in 38 years. 38 years. Hey, you're, everyone's invited. Come and join us at our watch along. Details to come. Well, that about does it for this week, Rick. I enjoyed this podcast, didn't you? This was a fun one. I this was it. good. I mean, what could you expect from Alfred Hitchcock movies, you know? They're always going to be good. Dude, I love Hitch. A great movie, first of all. Ah, that is also a great movie, yeah. Hitchcock, love him. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you so much again for listening to our podcast. Next week, for all of you folks who want to watch along we are going to be in the 1970s and our movie will be don't look now by nicholas roeg i think that's how you say that roeg o-r-o-e-g rog looks right to me yeah we'll just go with it yeah so 1970s is our next up on the list so please join us this has been two dudes one movie podcast the podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from different decades each week From black and white classics to modern day blockbusters, we'll be covering it all. Until next time, guys, my name is Parker, and I'm joined by my co-host... Rick 3. Rick 3. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll talk to you all next week. Don't eat the candy corn. Two Dudes, One Movie is an independently created podcast. Like, rate, follow, and subscribe wherever you listen. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube where we will post full video recordings of each episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. Thanks for watching.